Hello, this is the third episode of Entropy to Work and the response has been overwhelmingly positive so thank you very much for those who are listening to it at least the three people who have been listening to it <laughs> just kidding there is not a lot of people but some people in my inner circle and random people came to me saying that they're listening so that's pretty cool and yeah thank you very much for the support i hope we keep growing so i'm trying to balance on the fly here learning how to edit the podcast what people actually like so I'm adding a session afterwards. So after the episode, I will always add uh, another five minutes that I'm just going to be putting some of my points, some housekeeping on the podcast and questions and answers potentially and whatever pops up. So, yep, if you're interested, just uh, wait till the end. All right. So today we're up for a super exciting talk with this about this new era of space exploration, often called of new space. And we're also talking about thermal machinery, 3D printing, and propulsion. I'm talking with Ryan Rowland. He's the CEO, founder, and thermal machinery lead at Upshot Ventures. Ryan graduated from University of Florida in 2007. And during that time, he did internships at Motorola and GE Aviation. We actually talked about this during the podcast. Then he worked at Florida Turbine Technologies, a very thermal machinery-specific company where he did a lot of experience with micro turbine propulsion systems, liquid rock engine turbo pumps, and large power generation systems. From there, he went to Blue Origin, where he worked in a lot of the first engines, BE3, BE4, B7. And Ryan specifically was responsible for the B4 low pressure oxygen boost pump, main fuel, pre burner fuel valves, and as well, he was the lead rotor dynamicist and technical focal point for several other major turbo machinery systems at Blue. After Blue, he then spent two years at Ursa Major Technologies, developing a fully 3D printed turbo pump fed uh, rocket engine system. Uh, so, just light stuff. <laughs> and then he ended up to, you know, with a bunch of of other people he created uh, Upshot Ventures. So Ryan's a super passionate and creative engineer, lots of knowledge there. I feel like my IQ went up 10 points by just by talking to him. And I'm sure we're gonna be listening a lot about Upshot Ventures in the future. So now I bring you Ryan Rowland. Yeah, cool, man. So cool. There we go. We are live. Ryan, thanks so much for being here. I'm super of excited course. to talk to you. Yeah, nice to talk to you, Tiago. So to start, and for people who are listening, last year I was part of a training and Ryan, some of his colleagues were there. And Larry, you sent me an email saying my part of the training was good. And I yeah. screenshotted that and I still save it because that was nice. so I felt so good about it. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for that, man. Of course, yeah. So starting first things first, um, I'm probably before I'm going to read your in, your intro, but how do you define where you are right now, what do you do, and uh, what you're passionate about? Yeah, 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 yeah. My, so, you know, my I'm a turbo machinery and propulsion development engineer, uh, mechanical designer by trade. Um, I, uh, I've worked on, um, you know, everything from... Uh, micro gas turbines that fit in the palm of your hand to 
power generation uh, devices where you can physically get inside the combustion chamber, you know? So, um, you know, the, the scale and the, what, what passions me so much about it is just the sheer engineering ingenuity it takes to build and, and create something um, so complex, but so elegant and so capable. Um, so, you know, I, I was fortunate enough to work on a General Electric um, air breathing uh, jet engine as an intern. And for me, that was just mind blowing the, the amount of uh, expertise it took to get to that point and just absolutely blown away by the engineering marvel that is turbo machinery in general. So, uh, That's so cool, man. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I love to talk to people as passionate as you. Yeah. And I mean, Florida turbines, Blue Origin, or some majors, that's some heavy, heavyweight, just the heavyweight over there. Yeah. 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 Um, I've been was able every... to... Sorry, yeah. go ahead. I was going to say, I've been able to work on some really, really interesting, challenging, um, never before done problems uh, in, in, in many different industries. So yeah, I, I count myself very fortunate. Mm -hmm. That was really cool, man. Was it like a deliberate decision to go through the, the path that you are? Like 10, 15 years ago, you thought, man, at some point I'm going to end up opening an aerospace company. Or you kind of like went with the flow and at some point the opportunity just presented itself for you. Well, yeah, I mean, the story is a little bit longer than that. Um, but, but yeah, you know, I'm a mechanical engineer, so... Um, as most mechanical engineers will know, at some point you didn't know what you wanted to do, right? Because the world, you could design this pen, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Several very smart people figured out how to design that pen. So, um, you know, I, there was quite a period of time where I didn't know um, what I wanted to do. So for, for me, the, the best advice that I give a lot of our younger engineers uh, at Upshot or interns um, is you've got to find a real working situation for to apply your engineering mind. So focus on finding that internship and ex don't be afraid to explore different areas. So my story is actually a little bit funny. Um, it, when I was in school, um, I was fortunate enough to, to land a General Electric internship, um, you know, very, very lucky to work on the programs I worked on, but I wanted to test myself and see maybe there's a different world out there. So I actually took an internship at Motorola, and this is Motorola before the iPhone came out. Hmm. Uh, so, you know, a rather complex micro device, uh, unbelievable amount of engineering uh, that goes into that. Absolutely. But, uh, you know, the iPhone came out the summer I was there and, and uh, the oh, Motorola, uh, everybody was getting off the Motorola <laughs> bandwagon. So, <laughs> no, but it, it, the point I'm making is, you know, I didn't know this is what I wanted to do. Um, but 
you know, I latched on to the complexity of the systems and, you know, um, a mechanical designer's brain probably works differently than other engineers. And, um, you know, the complexity is what drew me to that industry. So I was very lucky, but also very determined to, to work on very cool things. So that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Well, listen to you. I can only think about one thing is talking to young people. Just you got to walk the walk before you talk the talk. So you, yeah. you got you to gotta try. You got to try a couple of stuff and figure it out. Like my dream as a kid, and some people find that funny, but as a kid, my dream was to be a scientist. I, I fancy like to have my lab code and do experiments and stuff. Yeah. And then when I was in school, first I was doing internship, and then eventually I went to a research lab. And within six months, I was like, I I'm not going to be a scientist. Like, <laughs> not a, like I, I don't like this. This is... Like, this is too specific. Like, I'm never going to use this in the real world. I want to solve problems and, you know, put my hands yeah. in something. Yeah. Like papers. Yeah. Follow what, you know, I, I like to say if, if it wakes you up in the middle of the night, then you're doing the right thing. So <laughs> I very hands on. Um, I knew I wanted to do something with my hands. Um, always mechanically inclined. So, you know, you put those passions together, you wake up and you start to think about a, a new turbo machinery design, you know, yeah. <laughs> you'll, know you'll know it when you find it. Um, yeah. So it might be a pen that might wake you up at night. That's fine. It's just as, just as great of a, an end result. So yeah. That's absolutely true. Cool, man. And yeah. talking about what wakes you up at night, talk to us about Upshot. What are you guys up to? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Upshot is a company um, that I created with a few colleague, ex-colleagues and friends. Um, after my time at Ursa Major, my time at Blue Origin, and and um, you know my I, I grew up in a very entrepreneurial family. So uh, from the day I was born, I you know knew I'd own my own business at some point. Um, and, you know, I was very fortunate to work on very cool things and meet very amazing people. Um, and, yeah, opportunity met uh, timing. And, and uh, we, we started Upshot um, two weeks before the pandemic really sank in. So, uh, you know, um, life is all about timing, they say. Um, but, you know, it, it clearly wasn't a driving force. In fact, I'll say, um, you know, one thing that I'm, I'll never know the answer for sure, but um, I think the pandemic was actually good for our business, primarily because I can just say, hey, Tiago, do you want to jump on a phone call or a video chat? And you say, yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, there's, there's some uh, blessings in disguise there, I think, but yeah, Upshot, um, we are primarily focused on creating technologies around what we like to refer to as optimization for additive or mm -hmm. OFA. So um, obviously a lot of people know what 3D printing is, um, but you know our team of specialists, myself as the lead designer, uh, a few of my colleagues as absolutely pioneers in the additive manufacturing um, industry. Um, we kind of got together and said, let's build some technologies that no one's ever thought of before that could not exist without the 3D printing manufacturing capabilities that are in existence today. 
Mm-hmm. So um, we are very, very, very stealthy. Um, we don't uh, really talk too much about what we do at the moment strategically. Mm-hmm. Uh, but actually, for the first time ever, I will reveal a project we've been working on. Oh, look at that. So this is the Upshot Optimus fully integrated powerhead for space launch. Ooh, look at that, man. Everything you need to generate the pressures necessary for a rocket engine event. So normally, this would be about 100 components, and you're mm-hmm. looking at a built system that requires 10. <laughs> so we're using additive to do something that's never been done before. That's that gives you an idea for uh, where our head and our focus is. It's not to use 3D printing to you know get to a solution faster, but use 3D printing to build something that just couldn't exist without. It was not possible before. Yeah, right. yeah, and I guess you hit the the nail right in the head right there. And that's one of the questions I have for you, at least. From my point of view, I was not in this 3D wave that was coming. And like for me, it looks like for the tubal machinery, it started really popping up like five years ago. Mm-hmm. What changed? Is it the materials? Is it the technologies? I know there is something related to patents because 3D printing was something that existed like 30 years ago, but someone patented and then yeah. it expired and then people start working on this. So why finally got the tubal machinery into to such complex parts in, in the aerospace? Yeah, it's, it's a really interesting question. I mean, I can speak from experience. Um, I was fortunate enough to also work at Blue Origin and, and um, you know, I joined Blue as employee about 300. Um, in so the company still. Very, Not very. Yeah, it's 3,500 or 4,000 now. <laughs> Um, but you know, we were fortunate to work for at the time, uh, nearly the richest man in the world. And, um, we pretty much got any machine or manufacturing technique we needed at in-house. So it was only until about 2013 or 14, where you could just go buy a, a, a 3d printer from a manufacturer. Um, there's only really a couple of options. Um, so, you know, the proliferation of the machine technology is what's made it sort of, you know, uh, what you might call commonplace, um, now, um, but, you know, um, having access to it very early allowed, uh, my brain as a designer to say, wow, you know, I can design the system email the step file to the machine and two days later I have a full mass full-scale turbine demonstrator right Mm -hmm. or hey let's do something crazy let's cool the disc you know you can just add it and go to your brain you started it really there was a transition from a traditional classic turbo machinery designer to more of an artist, uh, mm-hmm. it really kind of merged, you know, your spreadsheets and your your what you're used to using to calculate 
how to do something and it gave you the ability to say we're all right well instead of a hundred parts let's make ten mm-hmm. um, you know let's let's kind of merge let's consolidate this into that and flip this around and do things because I can just prove it to you in a couple of days yeah so you know th- this optimist quite literally started as a clean sheet of paper and just is why is why does it take so many parts you know draw it up put it on paper we we're very lucky we we were we received a grant from the government in the u.s to do all the research and development how i met you um and so you know we built a small team around this and um we originally designed it to uh, I think this will lead into some things I know you and I wanted to chat about. Um, the original intent is, of this particular system was to be a low cost replacement for electric pump fed systems that a lot mm-hmm. of the satellite launch companies like to use. Um, mm-hmm. So instead of batteries, Optimus. Yeah, so, man, it's so much know, cool. So much to unpack there. I'm gonna. Uh, I will start to take notes here. The first of them, I guess, for people that are outside super machinery, it might be hard to think about a lot. Whoa, these guys are so creative doing this stuff. But actually, for us who worked in super machinery for a long time, it's not news that we could design something that we could not manufacture. We would right. do something and just like, hey, I really want this to be this specific speed, and I want to be a closed impeller. But then you have no tools to reach on the both sides. So that was a problem that already existed in turbo machinery. So we could design stuff that could not exist in the real world. And then turbo machinery just came as a magic and just like, oh, there you go. Now we can do it. Now we can do, we can chase those pipe diffusers and those, you know, impossible tolerance that we could not reach before. So that's, yeah. And, um, And the second thing, what about how did the materials start? working on because I think 10 years ago no one was really talking about uh, additive in terms of you know the 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 alloys that we have now and yeah. do you know when that shift or this was like a progressive thing that was happening in the background um, you know it's it's sort of a constant uh, it's, it's a constant pro- problem basically it's a problem so mm-hmm. You know, yes, you can design anything, right? We know that we can actually manufacture a lot of that. But in in the case of liquid rocket engines, material compatibility or the strength to weight ratio of certain things, uh, certain applications is incredibly important. Um, Mm -hmm. In fact, a lot of rocket engines require materials that literally don't exist commercially today. Mm -hmm. The environments are just so um caustic and difficult and um so you know i mean there's the obvious materials that um, a lot of the 3d print shops have commercialized um and you know i've also been on programs where we've developed novel materials things that have you know never existed before so there's a fundamental process to go from raw material or powder to a end result but it takes significant testing and trial and error and adjustments and things like that so there's a huge push to commercialize 
you know, readily available materials. So hard to say when it really started. Uh, I would imagine um, a lot of the rocket industry actually led the charge for some of the new powders that you're seeing these days. Yeah. Uh, primarily because if your part can't survive, then you've got nothing. So yeah. it's pretty yeah. useless if you can't make it out of the material you need. So yeah, I had um, a colleague who always said, you know, your efficiency is zero if the part breaks. So right. it doesn't matter how great you design it. If it breaks, your efficiency is zero. zero. <laughs> yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's, you, you mentioned some things really cool because you know, every now and then we might see on the news people, oh, why to spend so much, so much work and so much money into the space? We have people starving here and on Earth and blah blah. Well, what you just mentioned about materials, I just can see like a direct application in day by day work. So having stronger materials, you can have stronger turbines. If you have cheap to manufacture turbines, it means electricity. It's pretty much cheaper to everyone and we know electricity per capita is based like an equivalent of like quality of life. So that's yeah. a very direct application that starts with something very, very high level, but yeah. very, very soon it's going to be into our day, day by day lives and people don't even realize it. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you know, the iPhone, the screen technology of the iPhone exists because of a, you know, a government funded program. Uh, you know, and so, know yeah, yeah. So, you know, NASA technologies from the 60s, uh, you know, were driven, uh, have drove the entire electronics age that we, we take for granted, right? Was, yeah, yeah. You know, so, same is true. Yeah, materials, process, um, you know, I mean, a lot of people, the space industry in, in general, is really you know focused on doing things like providing internet for total global global coverage you know mm -hmm. 40 percent 40 percent of the globe doesn't have internet you yeah. and i take it for granted but you know several billion people their quality of life could be improved it's it's tough to draw a line between the two but yeah you're absolutely it's right no, you're absolutely right and, yeah and, and, and it's not like this is gonna decrease no quite the opposite it's not like we want this to be a privilege no we want that to be in the normal everybody right. to have access easily in electricity easily basically have a like a, a reasonable quality of life and that's we where well, we have almost 8 billion people now so we we got to provide that for all of that people and that just exactly yeah. i love i love how we're tying turbo machinery into the global health uh you know really yeah <laughs> i guess a lot of people cannot see it because it's behind like it's a it's behind so many layers, but uh, you know, the past podcast I was talking with a woman, she's a pump engineer, and, right. and it just like, so many people come after the podcast now talking to me like, yeah, I never thought about, you know, the water is right there in the tank, but yeah. you never think about where does water is coming from. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of layers of complexity to just be there, available for you. Yeah, 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 that's very true. And well, talking about space, you were right into it. So tell me a little bit, what is this, what people are calling new space, what it started and, and what is different from, you know, when what is in the 60s and 70s, that was really US against Soviet Union. And now it's not really that. Now it's really, it feels like it's different. Yeah, yeah. You know, um, I think new space, the definition of it now to me just means 
there's you know so much uh, private investment and interest in solving really really difficult problems. So you know um, uh, you know the government working with private industry and in and those two sort of feeding off each other, I think is what's what I like to see for, and define as this new space kind of revolution, but. I think, you know, the advancements in software and, and the ability to design things or fabricate things so quickly, um, I really do think that's driving a lot of the innovation you're seeing. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I also like, I like, you know, taking sort of breaking it down to the physics level and, and why is a rocket look the way it does, right? Or what you know what technologies are we going to need 30 years from now uh, to, to combat you know um, uh, global warming um, you know this this just drive this internal drive to do things differently and not sort of follow the path of what's been done before is kind of the what I see is the the definition of new space um, mm -hmm. learn from the past but you know try to make a better you know future for everyone um I, I, you know and and you know i wonder how much 3d printing plays into it um i have uh you know seen things come you know your crazy idea come to life in two days it it, it sparks uh eliminates yeah, it eliminates the need for so much capital to prove an idea. And I think that's why new space is going to keep challenging, you know, legacy space over and over and over. Um, so I, I think it, it is the new paradigm. It's the way it's got to be. It's got to be better than it's been done before. Mm -hmm. so, so, yeah. That's a very good point. And I think something that is becoming really different instead of like what it was back in the 60s and 70s, that was kind of like to make a point to go to space and come back. Now you really, you can see in different countries, it's just, it just became national security. You want yeah. to put your own satellites in space. You don't want to, you don't want, you don't want to rely on anyone else. And that's not, that's of course true to the US, but it's just going to become true to now to Europe and China is doing their own stuff. Russia is doing their own stuff. And mm -hmm. even Brazil, they, they just put a couple Last week, actually, they used one of the Indians' uh, rockets to put one satellite made in Brazil. Yep. And now people people are already complaining, hey, we, we, we made our own satellite. Now it's time. we got to do our own rocket, you know, yeah. because we, yeah. we cannot keep relying on other, other countries because it's just national interest, basically. Yeah. And those are just the ones you know about. You know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's a whole bunch of stuff that I'm sure yeah. I, I'm not even allowed to know. <laughs> <laughs> you certainly can't say out loud. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cool. Cool. And you talked about the e-palms, but let's unpack a little bit before. And that's one of the questions I sent to you before. And that's a little bit coming from my own ignorance into propulsion systems. Whereas yeah. really the the, tr the threshold between solid propulsion, so people who don't know when you actually have like a combustion, something in combustion that the gases are going one side and the rocket or missile go to the other. Then you go to the next step that I guess it's pressure fed, and then you start going to liquid propulsion. And where's really the, the threshold there where, oh, I'm going to use this one or that one and et cetera. Yeah. You know, I mean, my experience again, I, you know, I've, the, 
I've only ever known how to design via a thermodynamic cycle, turbine driven anything. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, so, so, but at a certain scale, I understand the pros and cons. Um, electric pumps offer a lot of really interesting um, benefits that you might not think about uh, that are hard to argue with uh, the complexities of a turbine driven or um more of a passive arrangement. Uh, electric. No, right out of the gate. Yeah. Right out of the gate, just having the possibility of controlling your pump separately of the yep. turbine. Like you, you don't yeah. need to match them. Just like, hey, my pump is doing one thing, the turbine is doing something. That's, I guess people who never work with that don't know how hard it is because usually the sweet spot for both of them are different. So you yep. need to kind of compromise in both in order yeah. to have a turbo shaft or a, yeah, the, the turbocharger industry is exactly the same most of the time so yeah just having that assistance yeah that's that's great yeah i like to think of a turbine driven system especially with space launch as passive Mm -hmm. system really it provides an output if you provide an input Mm -hmm. so you know with an electric system it's inactive there's quite literally a knob uh you know in general a rocket engine doesn't care about the turbine method, the drive method. It's yeah. the pump that feed the chambers that stop everything from turning into melted metal. Mm-hmm. So an engine doesn't care, but a vehicle, this is where electric pumps don't win out usually, and it's primarily because of the power necessary to drive the pumps. And mm-hmm. so the, just the sheer mass of a battery at a certain point becomes even assuming kind of next generations, but you know, battery technologies, there's a certain power where you just can't solve the space flight equation. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, that's where um, you'll see a lot of 5,000 pounds thrust um, mm-hmm. or, you know, what is it, 25 kilonewtons type thrust systems. That's start where you, you start to break, hit a limit, a wall. You know, the, mm-hmm. the, the pump affinity equations is power squared or power, you know, flow rate squared and power cubed. There's, you're fighting exponential functions, not linear. So at a certain yeah. point, just the sheer power requirement, just it can't be done. So then what you'll see is a lot of uh, rocket companies building much smaller engines and putting a lot of them together. So yeah, yeah. that just means you need a lot of batteries. And often mm-hmm. the snowball effect, unfortunately, means now that you need carbon fiber tanks to offset that mass. So, you know, mm-hmm. it's, it's there's a system balance to it, but electric pumps in general, you know, bring up ton of amazing uh, electric motor driven pumps bring a lot of really amazing features at a certain size um mm-hmm. and so you know if your architecture can handle it i totally understand the math there um but um yeah yeah it's 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 a really interesting paradigm i've always wondered you know we we co- directly developed this system to replace mm-hmm electric motor driven systems uh primarily because of the end goal the end goal is to send satellites into space right weight into space 
thermodynamic cycle wins every time. Um, so mm -hmm. with that, you require significant expertise. Micro turbo machinery is very sensitive, um, as you know, and, and the manufacturing method you decide to use, in our case, 3D printing, brings along with it several very interesting challenges that at a small scale can be very, very dominating. So mm -hmm. there's quite a balance between uh, when and how you should go a thermodynamic cycle or consider an electric. Um, so that's my two cents. Um, I would like to put them head to head and see how things go in the real world. Uh, that's what we yeah. hope to do. Yeah. That out, so. And again, that's kind of out of my own ignorance. Is it everything like would the rocket, if they only have e-pumps, would that only be driven by the batteries that we have in there? Or do you still have the turbines generating the electricity, but then they recharge the, 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 the batteries and the batteries on the other side are driving the pump? No, it's, it's really just, there is no turbines. They, oh, there you go. It's just the batteries. Turbine wheel goes away. You plug mm -hmm. an electric motor output shaft into a pump. Yeah, and off you go. Drive it with a battery. So, mm -hmm. uh, Got it. you know, things that, um, you know, you talked a little bit about solids and pressure fed and kind of the, um, the hierarchy for power density is really what you're talking about. Um, mm -hmm. You know, liquid, cryogenic liquid propellants, high pressure sent to a combustion device is by far the most efficient way of getting off Earth. Yeah. Um, so for people who don't know this, basically we're talking about liquid hydrogen with like liquid oxygen and kerosene and this is stuff mixed together. And basically at this point, we're talking a scale that oxygen is liquid. So we're literally pumping the oxygen and mixing with hydrogen or kerosene. It depends on the, the thing. And, and that's yeah. what Ryan was talking about. A lot of density of power. So this is the liquid oxygen pump. This is the kerosene pump in our case. And then this is the pre-combustor. So this is we borrow a little bit of the fluids. We mm -hmm. them. We generate the shaft power that we need from the fluid. Mm -hmm. We drive the turbine wheels. They drive the pumps. The pumps send liquid to the uh, combust main combustor. So mm -hmm. you know, this is minus uh, 320 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, and this will be room temperature, and this will be a thousand Fahrenheit. So we've this basically covered all the problems, all the thermal problems you can imagine. It's amazing yeah. that it works structurally, uh, but that's where our team sort of has some secret sauce. But you know, <laughs> plugging an electric motor against a minus 320 degrees Fahrenheit. Structure becomes a big challenge. There's a oh. lot of engineering involved to pull that off. Um, so it, 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 there is no plug and play answer, um, but you know, there's, there's, it's arguably just as expensive and takes just as long to solve. So you might think you're doing it because it's cheaper, but uh, in the end, something that can fly probably costs and takes as long to develop as a turbine driven system so yeah, um, yeah 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 so mass is mass is king in space launch uh, mm -hmm. so you know our focus is 
uh, make your rocket lighter and send more payload into space. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. And one of the things that you mentioned that about the problems, like I think who are outside the industry don't realize some simple stuff, like simple, like the bearings actually play a big role. And very often you can come up to a problem that you just don't have a bearing to that. So you need to talk to someone, hey, I need a bearing with X, Y, Z, needs to get this truss and this temperature. And then two years later, they're gonna like, hey, here you go, so that's the bearing you need. Yeah, yeah. Do you guys, are you guys working on that end as well or are you still working with suppliers? Yeah, so um, this particular system is called Optimus. Optimus mm -hmm. stands for, wait for it, the One Piece Turbo Machinery Modular System. Wow, <laughs> that's pretty cool. Optimus, actually, one of the biggest challenges for turbo machinery designers, we say it's bearings and seals. Mm -hmm. So pumps and turbines are a specialty, but the hardest thing to get right is often the seals and the bearings. Yeah. Um, so for our de design, in order to be modular, we've actually integrated fully hydrostatic bearings. So what that means is rather than mechanical bearings like you're talking about, we can support a rotor system on a jacket of the propellants, essentially. Mm -hmm. So our mm -hmm. bearings are the high pressure fluid centering the shaft system. Mm -hmm. uh, the beauty in 3D printing is we can integrally feed these bearing systems. Mm -hmm. So um, as we scale or adapt or take the same design but change the fuel from kerosene to methane, mm -hmm. we need to go through a huge, long, costly, mechanical bearing design manufacturing loop. Um, mm -hmm. So we can, quite frankly, internally tool and change the feed system for the methane shaft versus the kerosene shaft by changing some geometry. Um, mm -hmm. So we've, we've thought about that, uh, but you're right, rotor dynamics. Um, That's crazy. That's so cool. That's so cool. What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, again, we it's like, why is it done this way? So to your point, um, in, in, in the U.S., it's quite often that a, a new set of bearings for an application like this might cost something like $100,000 and take somewhere between tw six months and 12 months before you get the first one. You mentioned two years. Okay, yeah, it's, I believe that actually. Um, and, and a lot of times you might actually get into a regime or a design where the bearings just flat out don't exist. Um, so some of the benefits of hydrostatic bearings are there's no moving parts. Yeah. You can also dial in the stiffness and thrust capability of those systems by altering the geometry and or the fluid that you're feeding the bearings with. Fortunately mm -hmm. for us, we have um, viscous or, or high density, high pressure fluids, which are ideal for supporting a rotor this system. Kind of stuff. Yeah, and again, that's another thing that 20 years ago, people could not even dream about that because it's impossible to actually create these channels that you're talking about with yep. the machine. It's just impossible, yep. you, you right. couldn't do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So. 
again, it's, it's take the whiteboard, draw out how it has been done before and start over and do it over here. And that, that's the way we do things at Upshot. That's the way, you know, that's, that is what wakes me up at night is that how the, how's it been done before and how am I going to do it better and different? Mm-hmm. Uh, so, so yeah, yeah. Yeah, this is so cool, man. This is so cool. Wait, so it kind of sounds like, and well, maybe completely off topic. How you guys end up in Colorado? Because kind of, like, from my from my point of view, it sounds like in the morning you might ski or snowboard, and then in the afternoon you design turbo pumps. That kind of sounds like the dream. Yeah, we we <laughs> ski into the office, we design turbo machinery, and then we ski home. That's that's, that's living the dream. That's it. <laughs> so so actually, um, I moved to Denver when I came and worked with Ursa Major, mm-hmm. uh, but but yeah, decided to stay. Um, Denver is. Uh, I'm originally from Florida, which oh. is very very different than Denver. <laughs> it's also very different than Seattle, which is where I was uh, when I was at Blue Origin. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm almost. I'm almost halfway back to Florida. Yeah, uh, yeah. But believe it or not, Denver is uh, absolutely beautiful. The sun is out um, 300 plus days a year, which you know my my, my Florida skin needs. Uh, <laughs> um, but but yeah yeah we uh, we we ski into work. That's awesome. That's really cool. <laughs> Are all the guys were already from there, or some of them you you bring some other parts? Yeah, from other parts. Um, some actually work remote. Um, one still in Seattle, but we're mm-hmm. consolidating after COVID kind of shuts down. We'll we'll bring the whole crew together and be in Denver. Yeah, this is awesome. And you guys yeah. uh, have test facilities already as well. We are actually building a test facility for this uh, particular unit itself. You'll you'll appreciate this. Um, nice. We plan to water flow test all the full scale components. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, you helped us with some of the pump design work. Um, so yeah. yeah, yeah. So we plan to to prove that our technology works uh, mm-hmm. with a, a test facility we're building now and. We're working with a few people to eventually integrate the system with their rocket engine and mm-hmm. test it in a full-scale kind of environment um, at probably one of their facilities. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, man, this is crazy. And one thing you mentioned before, and that might be a good point because I have a lot of people like myself who are from outside the U.S. And then only when I live in the U.S. I heard about this, that the whole SBIR program that you guys are in it's really cool and would you explain a little bit more were you from yeah. the inside how does that work and how you get it and why you need to return and like do you yeah. want technology after or does the government takes a piece of it yeah so um yeah so so this particular program that we applied for um in the in the u.s they have we have um uh, where there's really two sections. There's DOD program, so Department of Defense, and then mm-hmm. there's non-Department of Defense, really. So um, this particular, so the way it works is you come up with an idea, you sketch it out on some paper, and you give it a name like Optimus, <laughs> and you tell people about why it's so gonna be so great, and, and basically the way it works is you submit a paper around your idea and you say, you know, this is going to 
uh, triple the payload of a Rocket Lab Electron launch for exactly the same cost. Right? Mm -hmm. Sounds like a really interesting solution. Mm -hmm. um, and, and how it works is you submit it and technical and business uh, advisors will review it. And if they feel like, oh man, that's never been done before, that's a, if it works, it would be really amazing and it would create a bunch of jobs. And, um, you know, they judge your idea on its potential and uh, the government in the US will, they'll take a chance and they'll say, mm -hmm. We want to help you make this a reality. Um, mm -hmm. So in our case, um, we won what's called a phase one SBIR. Um, mm -hmm. And basically it's a small amount of money to go prove your concept. Mm -hmm. um, and we are right now applying for a phase two, which is a significantly larger amount of money to mm -hmm. uh, build, which we already did. Uh, and demonstrate, which we're going to do, um, <laughs> your idea. And so, yeah. Um, yeah, amazing, amazing opportunities in the U.S. Um, yeah. I am sure there are similar programs in Europe. Um, oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. but, but, yeah, the U.S., you know, um, they... So there's just a bunch of ideas that came out of this, and I think, like, that's a little bit of the secret sauce of the U.S. It's kind of like, let's... Let's maybe throw some money at this crazy guys. Yeah. Some of them actually have good ideas. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they sent us um, some money. We don't owe them anything. Um, mm -hmm. They purely, they are interested in creating technologies that will lead to job creation. Mm -hmm. So the theory is if this works, we'll hire five or six or seven people and they will pay taxes and they yeah. will cover the money they gave us to you know um it's it's kind of a moonshot for them it is yeah no absolutely so um yeah we also our our team has won um a, a, a more recent air force um sbir for another pretty cool idea same thing how's it mm -hmm. been done before let's use additive and let's use our team to come up with a new way of doing it and um it, we're, we're starting to figure out how the system works a little bit. Um, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But, you know, you give them a good idea and it has some merit to it, they'll say, go give it a shot. So uh, it's, a pretty cool, it's a pretty cool system, yeah. Is that from the, where from the, the name comes from, Upshot? <laughs> it sort it? of is, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I won't lie, my wife came up with the name, but um, it's it's, the upshot you kind of say when you know here's like the final takeaway here's the upshot you know mm -hmm. and the more we talked about what we wanted to do we, the more people would say well the upshot is and i say see i got you <laughs> about what we're doing they go oh that is the upshot oh you know <laughs> we liked it so yeah that's a really cool yeah it's a really good idea man uh what's your thoughts on someone who wants it's just listen to you and your passion with this and it's just like you know getting into university or just kind of like depressed right now they don't really like what they do what's your thoughts on it like what what would you say they want to go maybe to the new space industry but not necessarily if they just want to be as excited and passionate as you are what's yeah. what is your thoughts what would you say 
my my challenge is go try and design a turbine wheel in one dimension pick your set up pick up a spreadsheet see what you come up with if you wake up at 2 30 in the morning the next day and you go you know what i'm gonna try that differently you might be hooked um <laughs> but you know i mean in general um you know just never stop searching until you find that thing that just you can't get out of your brain and then follow that to the very end um mm. you know turbo machinery in general is often looked at with you know so much intimidation um but you know until you break make sure you break down the fundamentals down to something you can explain on a spreadsheet um, otherwise it is it's very overwhelming um yeah. tiago knows this the, the softwares that have been developed to create these complex shapes it, it fundamentally it's very very simple if you start with one dimensional um, yeah absolutely yeah the my biggest issue with 3d printing is is a lot of um younger engineers have never understood what it took we talked about this earlier what it takes to do it without 3d printing and, and, and this why uh you have a three-bladed inducer instead of a two uh, mm -hmm. you don't know all right or why you might shroud that and you miss the point because of course you can just add another blade right i'm 3d printing it i can add another blade yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. And so my recommendation to anyone in a complex engineering world that plans to use things like 3D printing is imagine doing it without 3D printing first, then introduce 3D printing. Mm -hmm. um, so, That's a great point. Yeah. And, and don't stop at turbo machinery. There's valves, there's run lines, there's chamber designs everything can benefit from that but fundamentally start with 1d if you can do it on a spreadsheet you'll know how to do it in a really complex 3d cfd you know integrated way in the future mm -hmm. yeah. so that's, that's my that's my recommendation that's such a good point ryan like in the in working into machinery as you said can be overwhelming but also a lot of people kind of have this feeling they need to go to a PhD and a postdoc and research. And then when you go talk to them, they're like, oh, we're gonna you know, start doing the CFD into this, this and that. And I'm like, wait a second, where's the point? What are you trying to do? And sometimes they don't know. It amazes me how many times I got to the situation, just like as a, uh, interacting with you, interacting with other companies, they'll be like, oh, I need to create a turbine that does this, this and that and all that. And I'm just like, okay, wait a second what are you trying to do yeah because there might be something so much simpler maybe it's not even too much maybe you're talking about centrifugal compressor but you could just buy a reciprocating compressor out of the gate and uh, your problem is done man like yeah you don't yeah. need to overcomplicate everything yeah yeah xl xl or you know hand calculations are your friends use them um and, and before you get to that point though it's yeah. got to be in, in you know jammed into your brain what, why you're using 3d printing to make it better or worse or you know or why do i want to be involved in this problem space right yeah, yeah, yeah. understand fundamentally before you get yourself too far into something
Yeah. Yeah. And I guess it's just the ability of explaining simple. If you can't explain simple, you probably don't fully understand. That's that's right. just the reality. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I am mindful of time. I know you're a super busy guy, and uh, I know you guys got to ski soon with, yeah. uh, with the Star coming over. Man, thank you so much for this. I really appreciate you taking the time. And uh, yeah, all the best. I'm totally looking forward to see what you guys are doing. Yeah, yeah, more to come soon. Um, really appreciate your time. Um, looking forward to, to talking with you again. Oh yeah, definitely. When you when you guys have more stuff to to, to show, please just let me know and let's uh, let's jam another hour or two and let's talk about cool stuff like this. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Awesome. Sounds amazing. See you, man. Thanks. Have a great day. Hey, Tiago. See you. See ya. Bye. So, if you're here, I assume you have listened to the full episode. That's really cool. Please let me know your thoughts on this. I do understand some topics might be too technically deep for someone who's outside the industry. So, um, please just let me know. I'm kind of wondering about creating some small videos about some technical features, some technologies, just to kind of support the podcast. And that might be like a, a second thing in itself. Like, I know some technical problems and some uh, explanations are not easy to find you might need to dig into two or three books or papers and I might just create a quick video about it to explain it so in this episode specifically we talked about propulsion so just to be again I'm not an expert in this at all but just to explain what I was talking to Ryan there most of these rockets that you guys see on the news, like SpaceX, Blue Origin, uh, they need such a huge power density that really what is required is liquid propulsion. So what that means, basically, the yes, we are burning something and that provides thrust or the force necessary to drive you or drive your rocket or your missile to another direction, right? There is different levels on that. Uh, one of the very small levels might be you just burn something, just like, you know, uh, uh, some small rockets or some missiles. And then came cruising. For that level, when you have such a huge payload, a lot of, basically a lot of weight that you need to take out of the atmosphere, you get to a point that you need so much power that what they do need is get oxygen, but not just oxygen that we have on the atmosphere, but actual liquid oxygen and make sure that with liquid hydrogen or liquid uh, kerosene. So basically, you pressurize a lot this, um, the, the few necessary for the combustion. And that's what we're talking there. So usually what happens is your flue gases, so the thing that has already been burned, drives a turbine. And that turbine drives the pumps that pressurize the liquid oxygen, liquid hydrogen, liquid kerosene, and, st and stuff like that. And that's usually how it goes. Of course, there is many variations in there. You might have a turbo pump assembly, meaning the turbine driving the, driving the pump just for the oxygen and not a one just for the kerosene or hydrogen or whatever you're using as a fuel. You might have one that you have the same shaft for everything, uh, and now it's, what is really new in this industry is using electric pumps 
basically this was not possible before just because of the power necessary to drive these pumps but as ryan said this is getting more and more common so basically now you have a pump that is driven by a electric motor and that is great because usually as i mentioned before you have a turbine that drives your pump but having this match between your turbine and your pump is not necessarily the easiest thing in the world or not necessarily the the thing you want for several reasons that i'm not getting into here but uh yeah so if you can just control your pump and separately you know the the different pumps for the different fuels that you have that would be just great so yeah there's just a little bit unpacking there because i went i know you went very um very technical very quick and that's just uh yeah just unpacking a little bit so what is really common nowadays is having these turbo pump assemblies and what is the innovation in here is you know these electric pumps um i guess that's it yeah please let me know if i should maybe start some videos maybe explain this or other topics in a little bit more details i would love to i like doing this stuff actually so um most of the audience is actually watching this via youtube and thank you very much maybe it's because of my shiny bald head here <laughs> but uh the podcast also exists in audio only version um i'm not sure if this is my public i didn't do a lot of uh let's say business study to see what is my specific persona that i'm you know targeting here uh so i don't know if you guys think this is cool and i should focus more on youtube and more videos just let me know or if actually more people watching or listening actually just the the actual podcast i also have in those platforms so spotify google Podpaw, google podcasts anchor and other and other platforms over there so if there is something there that is missing like i don't think is actually on apple my podcast yet but if people are missing just uh yeah let me know and now moving forward i'm kind of thinking i want to talk to someone about nuclear energy now we are in the 10 year anniversary of fukushima and there is a lot to unpack here how nuclear energy for absolutely sure is playing a big role in the future whether people like it or not um but also we have these concerns and fukushima definitely didn't help with that so yeah that's one topic that i definitely want to talk about but i don't i don't know many experts in nuclear energy so if you guys have any suggestions please let me know but uh i already have another one coming about refrigeration and i think the next one will be about supercritical co2 and its uses but uh, let's see of course it depends on the guests as well but if you guys have any topics that you'd like me to talk or someone that would like me to get back i know a lot of people really liked frank the first episode if you want me to if i know frank wants to come back so i, I i'm definitely looking forward to have a, another episode with him so uh just let me know and also if you have someone someone who just presented a paper someone you know is working something cool and you know would like to be in the podcast please just let me know i'll be very happy to know so yeah i guess that's too much housekeeping for today i said five minutes already 6 30 so uh thank you very much for listening please keep coming feedbacks let me know your thoughts on this and uh, i'm super excited to keep going with this so yeah this is entropy to work thank you very much mm-hmm.